Today I'm joined by archaeologist and historian Damien Shields, who's the author of the Irish American Civil War website and the Forgotten Irish podcast. And Damien has a particular interest in conflict archaeology and the story of the Irish diaspora. And today we we're going to discuss a little bit about battlefield archaeology and conflict archaeology in Ireland. But to begin with, Damien, um, what is battlefield archaeology and what, where did it come out of? Well, thanks for having me on, Neil. Uh, it's, good, it's good to be here. Um, battlefield archaeology is interesting because it's a bit different from standard archaeological um, works. And it came out of the United States around a site that's fairly famous, Custer's Last Stand, the Battle mm -hmm. of Little Bighorn, mm -hmm. um, where the 7th US Cavalry were wiped out by uh, a combined Native American force, or a large mm -hmm. proportion of them were. Uh, and in the early, late 1970s and early 1980s, the prairie where that happened, um, there was a fire on it, and it gave an opportunity for a guy called Professor Doug Scott mm -hmm. to move in with metal detectors and to do a metal detecting, detection survey across that battlefield. And he started to find bullets and other remains that related to that engagement, an engagement to mm -hmm. reinforce all the seven cavalrymen um, um, who, who were up, up with Custer, um, lost their lives. And he found that if he was systematic about it, if he used archaeological techniques rather than just going around with a metal detector, waving it around the field and carefully mapped where all the finds were and then analysed the material, mm -hmm. that he could add substantially to the story of the battle. And okay. in the years that followed, he has rewritten a lot of what we know about the events at the end of that battle. Mm -hmm. And it grew out of there, battlefield archaeology, and it, it, it hopped the Atlantic mm -hmm. um, and it became very popular, particularly in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of 17th century battlefields, uh, very famous discovery at the Battle of Towton, um, oh, a mass grave there. Uh -huh. And it's continued to be successful there. You can uh, pursue postgraduate studies at places like the, the Centre for Battlefield Archaeology at uh, the University of Glasgow. Okay. Um, and, and so it's now a very well-recognised worldwide um, discipline. discipline of archaeology. Yeah. 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 And it's really interesting one as well, because there, there must be great variety in the nature of the battlefields and so on. What sort of battlefields and sites of conflict do we have in Ireland? Well, we, we have a lot. Um, as a lot of people are aware, um, we've had a lot of wars here. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, so particularly through periods, uh, for, all the way back um, into, into, into prehistory, obviously, you can look at mm -hmm. elements of battles and conflict. So, I mean, battlefield archaeology, I probably should expand, has, has gone... It's, it's become wider, part of a wider sub-discipline called conflict archaeology now, mm -hmm. which looks at a real broad range of, of materials. So you can look at things like you know, violence in prehistoric societies. Mm -hmm. You can look at things like violence in contemporary societies or how violence is avoided and conflict is avoided, for example. Mm -hmm. But in, in purely um, site types, if you like, in Ireland, a lot of our best known ones would date to periods like the 17th century. Where yeah. We have these catastrophic wars that are occurring around the country. Most of our most famous battlefields date from the 16th and 17th centuries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, places like the Boyne, Ockram, Kinsale, mm -hmm. these are major ones, the 1798 Rebellion, um, and mm -hmm. all the way through into the 20th century, um, yeah. which, okay. which, which we can discuss later on. Okay. And they must range in size and scope as well. As you said, there's the likes of Ockram and the Boyne, which are kind of big yeah. set-piece battles across the landscape compared to more kind of guerrilla warfare, uh, you yeah. know, small 
that's full it. instructions. You can, you can employ archaeological techniques to things like three or four IRA volunteers in 1920 launching an attack against a, an RIC barracks. You, okay. can, you can look at that sort of thing from an archaeological perspective. Sure. Um, what archaeology brings to these things is, is a different set of if you like, criteria for analysing sites than, say, historians. Mm -hmm. Where historians are, are looking at the sources, archaeologists really are looking at the landscapes and all of these things. And so that counts mm -hmm. for somewhere, Ockram, the battlefield that had the most casualties in Ireland, yeah. where hundreds of thousands of archaeological objects were deposited in the soil during those engagements. Yes. But you can apply them equally to sites where no artefacts would survive, but just looking using archaeological landscape techniques. Okay, that's really interesting. And uh, is there a big difference in what we know? Like, you know, as you say, we, uh, I suppose perhaps the more famous and, and best represented battles are, are the ones from kind of the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. Um, I imagine they are slightly easier to determine archaeologically to some of the earlier battles, if you like. Um, for example, the, the Battle of Clontarf, you know, that's one of the most famous battles in Irish yeah, history. Yeah. We're pretty confident we know when it happened yeah. and who was involved and things like that. But do we know where it, it took place? How does archaeology help to inform or, you know, the, the histories and the traditional stories that we might So in a lot of our earlier battlefields, we simply do not know where okay. they took place. So Clontarf is one of them. So yes, again, okay. it's a, it's a generalised area yeah. of where we can identify it. But the earliest identifiable battlefield that we've been able to say we know exactly where that battlefield is dates mm -hmm. to 1170, just okay. after the Norman um, invasion. Okay. And there are specific reasons why that is. Mm -hmm. One of the key things you need if you're seeking to identify a battlefield mm -hmm. from an archaeological perspective is what I call location indicators. Yeah, so okay. you need a source... Mm -hmm. that you can go back to and say this is telling me where that site is okay the source could be somebody in the 19th century discovers you know a, 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 a bunch of material that might represent yeah. the location of the battlefield okay. more often it's something like somebody who was at the battle or somebody a near contemporary is telling you something like we crossed a stream and moved up a hill so, so there's a bit of detail in detail that's yeah, given okay. you landscape yeah. pointers that allow you to then try and locate it archaeologically so that's okay that's the kind of main criteria to find it so yes. uh, you can apply a lot of things like personally it, it, it's too long for this discussion but i think clontarf is a potentially locatable battlefield because you could apply different techniques like looking for fords and streams and things that might give you more of okay. an idea um, using scientific techniques to find yeah. where ancient fords were yeah. um but, but the reality is is that we know we're very, very few. We can only speculate as to precise locations yeah. for most of them. Uh, okay, I understand. It, yeah, it, it, it is kind of... Um, that is the trick, I suppose, with the, the earlier ones. Uh, quite often, we might see the results of conflict in terms of finding the, the physical remains of somebody who died of violent death. Yeah. But yeah. finding the actual place where that violence That's happened it. is a different matter yeah. altogether. Um, could you tell us, back in the, the mid-2000s, there was an Irish Battlefields project that was established. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Where did that come out of? And did it, what sorts of things did it look at? And how, you know, what did it achieve? And, and do we need to look at it again, so to yes. speak? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Irish Battlefields project is a really interesting one. It isn't actually widely known, but it mm. is the largest 
battlefield archaeological historical survey mm. I'm aware of that has ever taken place anywhere. Oh, okay. um, it was a very ambitious project. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, run by the de then Department of the Environment, um, Heritage and Local Government. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was set against a backdrop where a number of us were working in battlefield archaeology in Ireland. Um, I was doing work on the Kinsale Battlefield. Um, mm -hmm. Jim O'Neill and Paul Love were working on places like the Yellow Ford. Yes. Uh, there was a rising um, tide of international awareness as well with work in Britain and America. Mm -hmm. And the department wanted to seek to find out where these battlefields were in mm -hmm. the Republic of Ireland. Because one of the issues that we have had in Ireland is because it's not the standard we walk into a field and we see a ring fort or a castle yeah. or we can identify a prehistoric site, a lot of battlefield archaeology is based in the topsoil layers yes, of sites okay. um, and, and it's not and wasn't then archaeologically protected in any meaningful way in Ireland. All oh, right, okay. And so the purpose of the battlefields report was to identify every single battlefield in Ireland from the 8th to the 18th century. Wow. Okay. To um, construct historical reports of them, which was work undertaken by Enaclan Limited. Mm -hmm. um, write historical narratives, identify every primary source. And then the archaeological component, which we conducted, was Rubicon Heritage, who I worked with at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I led that, that side of the, the project. We sought to try and identify all of those battlefields for effectively planning purposes. So we were yeah, looking okay. to say this battle took this place the, in these fields. Yes, not a, yes. this is place. the geographical zone yeah. and therefore it has development precisely. implications. Yeah, okay. precisely. And, and, and so we had to go back and look at all of these battlefields. That's how we were, for example, there just simply wasn't enough information in the earlier mm. sources to say this is precisely where a battlefield was. Um, a couple handful of medieval battlefields um, are identifiable. Uh, really the key element that we found for identifying those sites out of the project w was uh, things like the calendar estate papers, English involvement in them, because they tended to be fairly specific about what they were doing. Okay, okay. Um, and so that, that was the purpose, and we mapped those um, sites, um, those reports. So it's still actually in the process. There's an intention to publish them. Mm -hmm. A number of county councils have um, implemented. They've taken some of the reports on specific battlefields in their own areas to try okay. and implement some planning um, um, contingencies for those sites. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very ambitious in its scope. There were hundreds of reports produced. Yeah, yeah okay. But it, it had limitations as well. I mean, it sounds hugely ambitious when you, you when you think about doing that nationwide and mm. you think about the, the time <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. Uh, period that, that it covers. It is an enormous project. Is there? Would you like to see um, uh, that to be revisited? I suppose now we're a little bit further along the road. Do you think that there's elements that we could perhaps go? Okay, well, you know we'll look at this aspect of it, of this region, geographic region. There, there's there's a lot in it. Well, I mean, one of the key things that we have to do is actually implement a lot of these sites so that yeah. they are within the planning process, so that okay. there's archaeological work undertaken yeah. on them when there's development. But there were things that were excluded. So because of the number of sites we had to do, we had very short time limits. So they're in yeah. no way the last word on any of these sites. No, I understand. It, ta it yeah. often takes huge research projects, of which there are very few in Ireland. Mm -hmm. But there were things that were excluded. So, for example, siege sites were not part of that project. Okay. Um, and okay. sites that post-dated 1798, which right. I would see as among our most vulnerable of all archaeologies in Ireland, yes. weren't included. Okay. So none of those sites have any archaeological, um, if you like, character yes within yeah. within the, the the profession or yeah, um, yeah. the discipline at the moment okay and it would be really important i think to extend it to 
to look at them. Definitely, for, yeah. For sure. And especially when you're considering siege sites were in Clamwell. Yeah, 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 hometown, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that was a famous siege there, for example. And because you're in a town, yeah. uh, sieges normally take place around those things, um, you've got a lot more planning pressures, I imagine. Exactly. Than, That's than, it. Than Precisely so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I suppose looking outside of Ireland for a moment, uh, particularly thinking of things like France and Normandy and so on. There's almost a tourism industry built up around people who are interested in yeah. um, military conflicts and whether that's remembering the relatives that were involved or whether that's going over to see where these great events happened. Um, in Ireland, when we consider some of these sites, okay, the Battle of the Boyne uh, is an OPW site. Mm -hmm. You can go and uh, there's a visitor centre there at Castle House. Um, Ockram has a visitor centre and such. But how accessible are, are Irish battlefields in general, some of the, the bigger ones? Uh, not very accessible at all, actually. Okay. It's it's a really interesting topic, mm. the, the way, for said tourism to sites like these occurs in Ireland, because it is almost, uh, before the point, non-existent mm. in comparison okay. to other countries. Mm -hmm. So if you look at, for example, Scotland, which is a very similar sized country to us. Yes. Culloden and Bannockburn are the two flagship yeah, sites. Yeah, absolutely. Big visitor centre, big numbers. Um, mm. Everybody knows about them. You have similar sites in England. Mm. But in Ireland, we, we never really, people don't go to battlefield sites. They don't hold the same, um, I suppose, space in our in our, in our, in our ideals of heritage, if you like. Okay. The, the Boyne was the big differentiator in that it's one of the most visited visited sites mm -hmm. though i think it is not necessarily it wasn't set up because of the battle there uh, yeah. per se it was set okay. up because of, of of contemporary um and fully justifiable um cross-border um needs Ockram uh -huh. has suffered significantly from a lack of underfunding it's probably mm -hmm. the most impressive battlefield site in ireland but there's a mm -hmm. lot more that we could be doing in relation to these type of sites uh, absolutely and, and exploring them archaeologically as well yeah and i think the you know as you say that cross the, the cross-border interest the unionist tradition mm -hmm. being so interested in the the williamite wars I think yeah is an opportunity to expand on that i think a huge the, one yeah the battle of the boyne it was seen as such a, a, a key turning point yeah uh, so it's, it's got that allure for that. And I also think it's kind of helped slightly by geography too, that people tend to be in the area looking at Very much so. New Grange or Tyre and, and so on. which Ockram, of course, being a far more significant battle in that war, if yes. you ask me. But, yeah. but, it, no, gets, but it gets much... Yeah, and of course, yeah. the Boyne is an iconic site. But, yes. it, it, yeah. but for all those reasons, yeah, it's really impressive. No, it, it, that's, that's certainly very interesting. And um, how well studied or how much focus you find is put onto the kind of the later periods i mean you, you've kind of you, you've almost mentioned it already that the kind of the later sites the 19th century the late 18th century 19th century 20th century it is that kind of being looked at in a systematic way are these sites at, at, at much more risk they, they are at hugely more at risk and mm. I suppose it might be good to lead into this on, if we kind of start from 1798, right, which is kind of the last classic battlefields in Ireland, mm. which is something I've been doing work on with Wexford County Council. Yes, okay. Um, and, and they funded a work that we carried out big archaeological surveys on the Vinegar Hill Battlefield. Mm -hmm. Now, the findings that we've got out of that um, over the last couple of years are incredible. Mm -hmm. There's a, a huge number of artefacts um, that because we've gone in with licensed archaeologically licensed surveying of all of this we know exactly where everything was we yeah. can tell massive amounts about what's occurred on 
those battlefields because of what we've retrieved and okay. that previously wasn't understood to exist and they right. haven't been looked at properly but when we go beyond those classic battlefields and of course 1798 is beyond this magical 1700 AD threshold where a lot of things are considered non-archaeological in Ireland mm -hmm. um, when we come into the smaller scale particularly the 20th century mm -hmm. there is an immense risk to all of these sites because we simply have no idea mm -hmm. of any of the archaeological landscapes mm -hmm. that surround the 1916 rising um, although there has been some work done by UCD and Frank Miles really good work on that but mm -hmm. in the larger sense of the revolutionary period the war of independence the civil war we know more about Folochtfia in the Bronze Age around Ireland than we do about the locations of IRA landscapes and what survives from them from the 1920 campaign 100 years ago mm -hmm. we don't know um, we know more about Anglo-Norman moths mm -hmm. in County Louth than we do about RIC barracks and what their condition is yeah. that were attacked mm -hmm. during 1920 uh, and the War of Independence. Um, we know significantly more about things like deserted medieval villages and prehistoric burial mounds than we do about what First World War training landscapes um, yeah. survive in Ireland, where they are and what their nature is. So we have, because we don't focus on any of those periods, they're particularly at risk because we simply don't know anything about them to prevent to record them or to prevent their destruction or whatever we might like to do to learn more from them. And do you think that um, a, a part of the risk in a way is that we do see quite significant sums of money being spent at these sites and typically it, it's in memorialization, sticking mm -hmm. up a statue or you know yeah, something along exactly. those lines. Do you think that kind of um, practice actually adds more to the pressures and the, the risks of the site that it, it's not you know it's not doing the if the site hasn't been uh, the landscape of the archaeology hasn't been properly understood that it can be um, quite easily damaged or destroyed or it's it's there's never been it's fair to say never been a higher risk time for these sites than now because okay. of the attention that's put on them mm -hmm. because of the way we remember these sites and I challenge anyone who's listening to, to consider how they interact say with war mm -hmm. of independence sites so mm -hmm. if you go to Bail in the Blaw, where Michael mm -hmm. Collins lost his life. Yeah. What are you visiting when you go to Bail in the Blaw? Mm -hmm. You go to a monument that was constructed after the events there. Mm -hmm. If you go to, say, some of the famous West Cork events like Kil Michael or Cross Barry, mm -hmm. what you're actually visiting is a monument constructed in the 1960s at both of those sites. Yeah. So you're visiting a site that's already memorialised and, and we're, we're memorialising them further, like, it's right that there should be a memorialization of these things but what's happening is because over the course of decades mm. we haven't looked at these sites as a conflict landscape or even considered them from that perspective we've seen mm. them more as sites of memory yes, um, okay. th than we have as sites where events took place mm -hmm. we simply don't know so we could go down and we could extend car parks at Bale the Blaw for the upcoming commemorations and we could remove without knowing it for example, hedgerows that played key roles in yeah. the events that led to Michael Collins's death. Mm -hmm. And a, a really good example of that, and, and the locals, uh, it was in all um, um, good faith that it was done, but in Kilmichael mm -hmm. um, ambush site, was effectively destroyed from an, any archaeological perspective um, with significant funding to, to kind of redo the landscape around the memorial. 
and the entire area um, was was impacted as a result of that which means that archaeologists can never go in there for example to see if archaeological techniques could answer questions in relation to positions there yeah, positions there and, yeah, and, um, yeah. and, and, and who fired etc etc mm-hmm. um, and so the idea that we want to put more and more building memorial buildings um, and structures on these places without knowing without having this baseline of knowing what mm-hmm. the landscape was yeah. is absolutely detrimental yes I, I know I can see that for sure and I often think as well in a way these memorials that are a very easy box to tick for people and it tends to be that what they're actually memorializing is themselves in a way yeah, that yeah. you know it tells you the ones significantly who, more about contemporary society than it, it does about any of the events in the past very well put that that's exactly it and outside of that kind of uh, inappropriate practice I, I suppose in those ways without doing the the hard work of understanding the landscape and such what other sort of key threats do battlefields typically face in Ireland and I imagine given the variety that we've already talked about there's a variety of threats there, there are and I, I touched earlier on, on most of the material that you find on say big large set piece mm. battles be like the Boyne Ockram mm. Kinsale is mm. topsoil archaeology mm. so mm. there are usually not big trenches dug or anything like this it's yeah. all um, artifacts that are in the topsoil yeah. and I, I suppose it's relevant to just discuss techniques here mm-hmm. As archaeologists, what we do in Ireland, you require a, a license to operate a metal detector, so yes. it's, uh, it, which tend to only be given to archaeologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason that is, is on sites like battlefields. If we are mm-hmm. conducting a survey like the one we did at Vinegar Hill, yeah. we conduct it using a set, um, set of rules where we're surveying everything in a very linear pattern where we're recording exactly where we find everything and what it means at the end when you remove that material from the, from the soil is you can do things like tell where people were standing when mm-hmm. they were firing yeah. you can tell that people were running away in this direction the cavalry were attacking in this direction okay. uh, you can see which type of troops were moving the problem in ireland that we have um, particularly as a rising threat through illicit metal detection is one of the big risks that we have on these sites yeah. um, where unfortunately military sites are among the most attractive um, because often they don't have the same protections mm-hmm. as um, as other sites and they're 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 big and isolated a, a lot of the time. Um, so if somebody goes in and they start digging up that material randomly, say yes. it goes on to Ockram and starts digging up stuff, that is information that's forever lost. Yes, the context is gone. All context removed from the situation. Yeah. That's a major issue. Um, obviously, things like um, you know putting roads through them and um, uh, and develop, g- yeah. general developmental pressures are big as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like we have other issues in Ireland in, in, in terms of how we approach these sites we, mm-hmm. from an archaeological perspective that we, we, we need to, to be very you know uniform in how we approach dealing with them. Mm-hmm. One of the big things I think we have to do is to, to fully recognise their incredible archaeological value yes. um, be, because it is irrefutable really now with what we've got out of Ireland and in an international context. Uh, absolutely. I, like the, to return to the um, the rising problem of illegal metal detecting, you know, we, we should say that it is an offence to dig for archaeological objects uh, without a licence from the state. And that an archaeological object isn't defined by time either. No. It, it is, uh, you know, it can include 20th century material. It can, you know, yeah. it is items of historical and archaeological interest. So um, that offence comes with a large fine and up to you know custodial sentences as well so 
Um, it is important to state that. I, I think a, another threat outside of um, illegal metal detecting as well is the increasing intensification of agriculture, mm -hmm. where a lot of hedgerows, for example, are being removed to facilitate much larger farming areas and things like that. And, and those hedgerows might have been there at the, you know, and played a key role. So, so uh, a, a very good example of this that you come across a lot in Ireland is so a lot of Irish battles take place mm. historically in passes. Right? Mm, okay. So our romantic vision of a pass mm. is, you know, the Gap of Dunlow or something like yeah. this. Oh, Glen Malow, there was a famous... Exactly, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in, in most Irish cases, when they talk about a pass, mm. they actually mean a pass through a bog. So okay. it's a really good example of exactly that, where land right. improvements... So, you know, a lot of our bogs have been drained, wetlands are still mm. drained, so it can be incredibly difficult. That's yeah. one of the areas yeah. where, again, maybe scientific techniques, but it shows you so that little... Um, amount of disturbance, if you like, yeah. can have a serious impact on identifying landscapes. Yeah. It, 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 indeed, it actually comes right up into the War of Independence in terms of looking at some of these sites. Yeah. So everything from hedgerows to buildings that, you know, would seem modern, but um, may have some contemporary importance. It's interesting in just in terms of damage. Um, there's growing evidence that modern agricultural techniques mm -hmm. are massively deteriorating some uh, of the medieval sites because mm -hmm. of their impact on, on, on some of them. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, it's, it's an encouragement for us to look at how we manage land in certain areas yeah. um, and also to, to kind of spend a bit of time analysing some of the sites as well. Uh, absolutely. And again, looking overseas, um, you know, and, and looking at how people can engage and understand yeah. Um, these battlefields and particularly communities and things like that there, there's some good examples that we could look at for it in the UK for example with the um, home front legacies project could yeah. you tell us a little bit about that and how you could see something like that working in yeah Ireland? I think it's the model that we have to look at particularly with the decade of centenaries if mm -hmm. we want there to be a legacy I'm always beating this drum we mm -hmm. our, our first world war period 2014 to 2018 in my view passed without us having a long uh, a legacy in terms of particularly from an archaeological perspective yeah. um and britain is where we can look to so britain ran a couple of projects that i think we can we can take stuff from the defense of britain project was the first one okay. which was a project where local volunteers from the council of british archaeology ran it um went around britain and they were looking for the remains of britain's second world war defense mm -hmm. system so things like pillboxes the teeth against uh, to, to stop tanks running oh, up beaches yes. yeah. and volunteers went out with forms that were um, a, a downloadable they became part of the team and mm. did their local areas it's a big problem we have with 20th century irish military sites mm. in general is we just don't know any of that mm -hmm. uh, type of, of information so it would be very valuable mm -hmm. um, they followed that up with this home front legacies project which they ran for first rewards very similar idea mm -hmm. um really well worth checking out for anyone who's interested in this type of material but again it was volunteers would go out into a town say like clonmel yeah. and they would say what is our legacy within the town mm -hmm. of the first world war mm -hmm. and they might identify that Whelan's spar shop above it mm -hmm. was where women used to make um bandages for the front okay. they might look in the fields on the hills surrounding it and discover this is where the local regiments battalion mm -hmm. con constructed training trenches mm -hmm. and they built up a picture they had a survey sheet built up pictures of all of these areas so an ordinary building that the history may otherwise have been lost and it couldn't we we couldn't take in a global view if you like in a town and say well yeah. that's the first world war heritage of the town 
That's mm-hmm. what it addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we, we didn't do, you know, during the First World War centenary here, the, there was almost no work done on any of our First World War. And there's significant amounts of it, the training trenches in the Curra, there's training trenches around a lot of the countryside. We simply don't know where most of them are. Yeah. Um, Dr. Heather Montgomery did, did a lot of really good work on the First World War sites within Irish uh, Defence Forces camps in Ireland. And just last year, we had our first proper examination of some training trenches when uh, Stephen O'Callaghan mm-hmm. um, looked at some um, some training trenches in Offaly with um, Dennis Shine. But we really have done very little on all of this. Mm-hmm. And there's an obvious opportunity now to take something like the Home Front Legacies Project and apply it to things like the, the War of Independence. Yes. Um, yeah. It's something I did a pilot project with in Nafraha in County Cork, where we worked with the local community um, we drew from the contemporary sources of the War of Independence, um, got accounts and went around the landscape and began to plot things like where arms dumps were, which okay. quite commonly were in archaeological sites, interestingly, things oh, like suzerains. Really? <laughs> yeah. but, but even, you know, what houses were safe houses? Okay. Uh, so we, we were able to say this safe house and this safe house were important. And it allows you to read um, documentary evidence and say, well, we now know why they were, they were going from X to Y because it was a safe house wow, okay. uh, where courts were held. So that entire landscape of what it was like to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, things like the RIC barracks and things like this, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from the other side as well. It just gives you a whole new perspective uh, of the entire conflict and huge opportunities for community engagement and literally not being done at all. So it's, yeah. it's a massive opportunity yes it'll be a travesty i think if we get through the whole decade without it being done on any major scale but uh, it's uh, currently as it stands it's a great opportunity absolutely absolutely no i quite agree because as as if it just ends up that we get a bunch of new statues and a few plaques exactly with no real deeper understanding of some of these issues we we have to expand the way we look at the past yeah more to engage with with if we engage with that sort of landscape yeah. You know, it gives you a lot more scope, I think, for people to understand yeah. the past than simply, you know, a list of a list of names and everything, which they have their place as well. Those oh, types of memorials have their place, but absolutely. it can't be our number one default every time. No, <laughs> that's it. Um, and I suppose, uh, you know, in terms of going where people can experience some of these uh, the battlefields and see some of these events and so on, um, I always think... Perhaps the most tangible thing is to take a walk down a Carl Street and go yeah. and you see some yeah. amount of bullet scars. Are there other towns and places like that that you think yeah. are particularly interesting? For there there are. I'll go to, and I mean, it's worth talking. It's one of my pet projects. Shouldn't brought that up at all. <laughs> is, is, um, is impact scarring, again, yeah. which is something that we could do with a big survey here. So, as you mentioned, Dublin is a brilliant one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stevens Green Memorial Arch, the left hand yeah. side of it is absolutely scattered with machine gun fire from the Hibernian Club um, and from the Shelburne, fired at, um, at volunteers and citizen army. And there's very little as impressive as the front of the Royal College of Surgeons, yes. which looks like it's from the middle of Warsaw uh, wow. with the amount of impact scarring. But that's everywhere. And again, it is not recorded outside mm-hmm. of the, the work that lads did in the 1916 Dublin sites, not recorded anywhere. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite in relation to that is the remains in, the, in John's Hospital in Limerick where the citadel was in 1690 and okay. uh, 1691 when the Williamite sieges of the famous siege of Limerick uh-huh. 
the bombardment of Williamite um, mortars and artillery fire banging down on that citadel. You can walk in, in to the hospital there and see the entire front of uh, this remaining um, element of the citadel absolutely annihilated with mm. the scarring of this attack, which is such an iconic siege in Irish history. Yes. But again, it's, it's virtually unknown that it exists. Wow. So, so those type of impact scars, and again, they go all the way through into the Civil War and everything. Um, mm -hmm. But that they're really, really um, interesting ones. A lot of the times, even just walking around, you know, the town walls places like Hamel, uh, mm -hmm. for example, had an incredibly well-known siege when Oliver Cromwell got his bloody nose here. Yes. Um, even just looking at the way the town walls yeah. are in a place yeah. in a place like this, Cork City. Yeah. Cork City is not a place people associate with conflict archaeology. Elizabeth Fort had artillery again from the Williamite wars mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of places where you can interact with it, particularly in urban areas. And it's another opportunity for interpreting some of it so that people can kind of realize as they're walking down the street, oh, wow, this is what was occurring here and here and here. Mm -hmm. Just adds a new dimension every time you're in a place, I think. Well, that's it. And especially as so much of certainly that site uh, type of thing is so accessible and it'll just. I think it makes you look at a town in a whole new light in a way yeah, absolutely. You know, it really yeah, does yeah. um I, do you have any particular recommendations for where people can go to find out more or battle like the larger battlefields you can visit we mentioned the boyne and, and yeah Ockram and I, I i would encourage people actually to go to Ockram. Um, yes absolutely the interpretive center there um it, it, it's been run with such dedication by the local community yeah. and it doesn't receive the funding it should receive no. the battlefield is probably the most impressive yes. in terms of its preservation in the country and it's currently now just off the m6 um mm, very accessible very accessible um, yeah. i analyzed some finds from the battlefield that were found under the root of the road <laughs> yeah. um but a, an incredibly important battle um and and so i would encourage people to look at that mm -hmm. um as, as one of the locations um that you can see um, the boy obviously is a good one another if you want to find out something about artifacts and, and material the soldiers and chiefs exhibition at the national museum of ireland Collins yes. barracks yeah. um, which i worked on many moons ago mm -hmm. has um, material from that if people wanted to see my favorite and i think one of the best preserved siege landscapes mm -hmm. in the country you should go to the town little village of ballymore in county westmead which okay. is an amazing landscape okay. it was um originally fortified around the mott into the lake um, so you can see the 1640s and the 1690s fortifications mm -hmm. around this anglo-norman mott it produced um 2701 lead bullets that were it, these were illicitly detected and then seized by the national museum wow. uh, the largest find of bullets on land that i'm aware of that's ever taken place in the planet um, but the entire landscape of the williamite attack in yeah. ballymore uh, in 1691 is preserved there it's quite an incredible site. Another mm -hmm. favourite of mine um, is Dunanor um, down in Smerrick Harbour. Okay. So Dunanor is again a very small promontory. Unfortunately, uh, one of our major issues again it, suffering immensely from coastal erosion. Yeah. But Dunanor was the site of the first, if if you like, foreign military intervention into Ireland uh, in opposition to the Elizabethan English um, mm -hmm. in fifteen eighty. Okay. when, when um, a pa men landed under papal banner yeah. there and all lost their lives but again that's a site that's very interesting and quite well preserved apart from the elements that are, are, are subject sure, to coastal yeah. um, erosion um, 
unfortunately there's not a, a whole lot in terms of even you know we don't write as many books as other countries do about their battlefields mm -hmm. and because we don't encourage a lot of visiting to them you know you're kind of restricted in a lot in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um so a, a lot of material is yet to come out on them but yeah. um yeah i'm tr even trying to to think about kind of major websites and stuff is 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 problematical because we, we just don't explore them in a way that we should yeah, our, yeah. our 17th century battlefields which should be really famous most of them aren't famous like particularly the 1640s ones kinsale should be more famous i've done a lot yeah. of work there over 20 years with paul o'keefe yes and yes. um it's actually not as well known in terms of a visitor uh, location it seems to me to almost miss a little bit of a trick too because so many of these uh, battlefields particularly the the Williamite battlefields had such an important shaping for yeah. the united kingdom yeah. as, as a whole it, it was so what happened in ireland dictated what happened in england and and, and the rest of europe almost to some degree absolutely um and it even from a tourism point of view you'd think that there would be more supports going into connecting those stories the, together. The Williamite one is a really good example. The opportunities with that are immense. Mm -hmm. It's the only, in fact, this is of interest, the 1691 campaign, the kind of one that was the decisive campaign, Ballymore, mm -hmm. um, Athlone, Ockram, mm -hmm. Limerick. There's been archaeological remains of every one of those engagements have been found. Mm -hmm. You can follow Ginkle's entire campaign through there. Wow. Um, similarly, down in Kinsale in, in 1690, incredible, there was incredible actions there. Marlborough, mm. really mm. famous, one of the, often regarded as the greatest British general of all time, was serving mm. down there. Um, these landscapes are preserved there. Yeah. Um, Athlone, like it, the landscape is, is largely similar. You can go yeah. and see material, but yet we don't um, seem to encourage beyond the Boyne. A kind of an exploration and yeah. it's really important as well you know people might feel that it's only looking at one tradition on the island but it's very far from that if you mm. look at the importance of say limerick and the wild geese the events yeah. after that um second siege in 1691 are immense yes and you can explore all of those landscapes it, some cases better preserved than others but they're all still there yeah and, and similar for the 1640s um, and the 1650s, you know, we, we look at every castle around the country and it was always Oliver Cromwell that blew them mm -hmm. up. But of course, it wasn't always Oliver Cromwell that blew no, them up no. because he wasn't in that many places. But no. uh, he did do it here, of course, but well, he failed to do it in Clonmel, famously. Yes. But um, a lot of those sites really are quite remarkably well preserved. Yeah. Um, but we, we have so little understanding of that conflict, which was such a, a seminal one in Irish history in the middle of the 17th century. Mm -hmm. um, and our understanding of the Elizabethan ones is, is similar. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it kind of, I've always struggled with why um, we don't engage to the same extent that say they do in Britain. Mm -hmm. um, one of the interesting things people often say to me is, but should we lost all the battles? It's okay. Th there's a, people have a kind of a, a, a perception well, why would we look at places like Kinsale or we don't want it's yeah. a choice to not remember. Almost, yeah, almost. Yeah. And there's something in that. There's a lot of interesting ways of how we interact. I think we see it a bit with the War of Independence material. Mm. I mean, of why um, uh, there's a, a well-known site in Cork where um, a number of IRA volunteers um, lost their lives. And when I first mm. went to visit the site, some of them were executed against a wall. And I discovered the wall had been knocked down um, in the previous 20 years, but mm. not it hadn't really been noticed that it had been knocked down where these men were executed. And I was interested in why mm. that was. Mm -hmm. and, and for those type of events, it seems that we've always kind of remembered the people by going to their graveside, like the kind of yeah. grave of the martyr, 
and we've kind of gone to memorials and things. And I, I think it's a bit similar with the older battlefields. We kind of think about things like the flight of the earls, the kind of great, mm. um, sad events. And, and we tend not to look at the events themselves. We, we're always thinking about the consequences of them or the politics of them and things it, like that. Uh, the uh, focus on the person involved in the events yeah. rather than the place it, where the, the events pers- happen. The person is very yeah. uh, key and central to all of it. And it's an interesting element um, if you... You know, as much as you want to go into people having national psyches, one of the reasons our earlier sites are so difficult to identify on the ground is particularly with the Irish analysts. Mm. Is the Irish analysts and their, their purpose was not to tell you where an engagement happened; no. it was to tell you who was there and who died and who they were. Well, that's I, I, it. They were very loose on detail. Very loose on detail, and in in, a, in many ways, that's actually continued down into why we're we're not looking at the sites of the War of Independence because we look at the individuals, you know, yeah. much more than we do because for obvious reasons in, 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 in those instances. But it is an interesting, it's an interesting it discussion is. to have as to why we don't have it as a major element of our, you know... Archaeology practice. Yeah. I mean, perhaps part of it as well is that, you know, in, in our major universities and so on, for the first kind of... Up till relatively recently, there was a big focus on prehistory. There was a big focus yeah. on uh, early medieval stuff. Yeah. And, you know, once you start getting the Normans involved, and certainly once yeah. you kind of get the Tudor kind of period and exactly, everything yeah. that comes up, uh, yeah. there, was, there was no real kind of champions. Is that the right word? Yeah, for, uh, I, I think you could that argue word? that that is still the case. I mean, there are yeah. real... Exa- Irish archaeology is very small. Yeah. The um, third level... Um, archaeological departments are not large and there's not many of them mm-hmm. um, like the Irish post-medieval archaeology group have done brilliant work in relation to later sites um, and later battlefield sites in particular mm-hmm. but I think we have like we, we need more um, investment in looking at this area so like all mm-hmm. the battlefield projects I've run over the years the department of the environment one aside and the mm-hmm. most recent one Wexford County Council were all volunteer efforts yeah. over the course of 15, 20 years. Yeah. And if you look at the Kinsale one, I mean, the Kinsale one, we were operating, um, my colleague Paul O'Keefe on the Kinsale Battlefield Project identified that the main English camp, his work there identified, the main English camp was the same size as the contemporary walled city of Derry. God. None of that landscape had any form of protection prior okay. to our volunteer project commencing in 2001 to identify the delineations. That's so amazing. The scale of archaeology that mm-hmm. isn't being, you know, identified and targeted like, to be controversial, I, arg- I would argue that we need to look a bit less, actually. We need to, from a research perspective, divert a bit of the funds that we're looking at um, very famous sites and maybe go, okay, these type of things are under threat. We need to do things like highlight yeah. what sites like Ockram can offer. We need to highlight what doing archaeological work on the War of Independence in Galway or Tipperary Mm-hmm. is going to add to our knowledge of these things because yeah. it does add significantly to what we know about all of these events. Absolutely. I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and as you, you know, the clock is ticking. It's a decade of yeah. uh, centenary. It's running out. <laughs> it, it would be such a missed opportunity, as you say, to, to if it just ended up with a few old plaques and statues. Yeah. And, and although... As we've discussed, they have a place too. This understanding of the landscape is fundamental. So let's hope really that um, people can, you know, perhaps be inspired by some of those ideas and and, and those things. Um, And we can perhaps reconsider how we look at these places and and what kind of resources that we can find for them. Um, 
So, Damien, are there any kind of um, resources or are there any ongoing projects at the moment that you'd like people to be aware of in terms of conflict archaeology in Ireland? Yeah, well, I suppose to give them um, a bit of a flavour of, say, some of the earlier material, the work mm -hmm. that we've been doing, Wexford County Council um, funded a major project, the biggest battlefield project that's ever taken place on the island of Ireland around Vinegar Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's ongoing work. Um, I was um, heading it up um, with Rubicon Heritage uh, in partnership with Dr. James Bonsell, mm -hmm. um, Sligo um, Institute of uh, Technology. And we had an international team there um, and the work's ongoing. But if people want to find out a bit more about that um, uh, lecture that we gave on that, um, the IT Sligo Applied Archaeology page has it up mm -hmm. um, on YouTube called The Longest Day of the Archaeology of the Vinegar Hill Battlefield. And that gives you a sense of the type of material we're finding and what you okay. can tell from it. I suppose for the later stuff, uh, to get a kind of a, a bit of a flavour of the potential of, say, community-driven projects and stuff, aside from looking up things like the Homefront Legacies project, mm -hmm. um, there's the Landscape to Revolution um, site, which is the site I set up um, in Ireland. Um, so that's landscapesrevolution.wordpress.com that kind of gives you an idea of the type of pilot projects that we've run and some of the forms you could have. Mm -hmm. And just to get a kind of a, a bit of an idea of some of the other archaeological work that possible from this period and it's been done. The 1916 stuff that Frank Miles did in conjunction with um, UCD is the archaeology of 1916.wordpress.com. And then also uh, Stafford McLaughlin and Colin Moriarty over in Wexford have mm. been doing a great project on civil war yeah. archaeology in Wexford. And that's wexfordcivilwararchaeology.com. Yeah, I, I, they're all fantastic projects. And of course, I think as well, looking at... Um, conflict that involved Irish people but outside of the state. I think your work on the um, the Irish in the American Civil War has just been outstanding. And, you know, your website there is, is terrific. The address is... www.irishamericancivilwar.com, yeah. Brilliant. To hear about the Irish diaspora in America. And for something completely different. For something completely different. <laughs> but it, again, it's that lived experience of yeah. people in conflict and, you know, the whole connection that they, they leave Ireland and all of a sudden they're involved in one of the biggest... Exactly. And, and much like many of our sites here, generally largely forgotten. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. That's one, of the, one of the main reasons we look at them. Well, as ever, we'll put up uh, links in the show notes uh, to all of these as well so people can find it there on our website and at, at barterheritage.ie. Just go to the Amplify Archaeology section there. Um, so I want to thank you for joining me, Damien. Thanks a million for having me. Thank you all for listening as well and hopefully we'll catch you again on Amplify Archaeology. Goodbye.